Hello, and welcome to BJGP Interviews. I'm Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Mr. James Bailey, a colorectal research fellow from the Nottingham Colorectal Service, about the paper that he and his colleagues have published in the BJGP titled Sociodemographic Variations in the Uptake of Fecal Immunochemical Tests in Primary Care. So thanks, James, for joining me here today to talk about this paper. And I think that fit is an important area to highlight in research, mainly because of its increasing use in primary care prior to referral for suspected colorectal cancer. But can you tell us a bit more about the increasing use of fit and why you've decided to focus here in this study on patient characteristics in use of fit? Uh, Absolutely. So um, Nottingham are in a relatively privileged position. We use the risk stratifying ability of FIT uh, to identify patients who are at highest need of urgent investigation and also as a rule out test to um, show patients that have a very low chance of colorectal cancer. The NHS cancer plan has been you know, absolutely clear in its uh, mission statements to reduce disparity and improve the outcomes of cancer. And so I think where we have this test that's being used as more of a gatekeeper investigation for urgent referral and investigation, I mean, it's imperative that that we're treating our, uh, you know, the different areas and patients with different characteristics uh, entirely equally and, and fairly and that that they're getting an equal opportunity to be investigated urgently for, uh, you know, a potentially, you know, very significant and possibly fatal condition. Mm, So as you mentioned, in Nottingham, you rolled this out prior to many other trusts, for instance, during COVID. And uh, I know that it was increasingly used during COVID, as you say, as this rule out test as well. So I think, you know, with some previous work that we've undertaken, we've shown that the accuracy of fit to identify patients at risk of colorectal cancer is, you know, orders of magnitude higher than the use of symptoms, relying on change of bowel habit, weight loss, abdominal pain or sensation of of an abdominal mass. Uh, The chance of those symptoms or clinical features representing a colorectal cancer uh, are are very, very low. And at times you struggle to reach a positive predictive value of even 3%, which is the the cutoff for urgent investigation, as opposed to to FIT, which uh, when raised, very accurately stratifies out uh, patients' risks, at least into broad categories that you can, you know, make more more decisions on on how to investigate those patients. Talk us through the study and what you did here. So this was a study of patients who had FIT as a triage tool in 2017 under the Nottingham Colorectal Service. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. So uh, there's a couple of different areas to the study. Primarily, what what we looked to do was just to take all of the characteristics of patients who were referred on our pathway from uh, 2017 until I think it's the end of 2020, uh, and compare the characteristics of those patients with Nottinghamshire's base population. First of all, just to see actually how representative you know, our, is our investigated population as compared to our base population and what, what sort of differences are there in, in those groups. And then uh, secondarily, we looked at the likelihood of patients to return their FIT samples, the first FIT requests, and broke those um, investigations or broke those requests down by gender, age, ethnicity and social deprivation to look at 
exactly what patterns there are in terms of patients uh, returning these investigations and accessing secondary care urgent investigation for colorectal cancer. I guess this was quite a big study, as you mentioned, with over 38,000 individual patient fit requests. But talk us through some of the main results. So what were your findings relating to who actually returned a fit kit in this this cohort? So broadly speaking, our, our results were quite encouraging. In our symptomatic group, Broadly speaking, the return rate is around 90%, which is significantly higher than than in screening populations. There's a number of reasons that might be accountable for that. Uh, Particularly, these are patients with symptoms who have gone to their general practitioners and probably represent a more motivated cohort than uh, a group of patients with no symptoms who feel otherwise healthy. In terms of the returns by different groups, we didn't see as much of a disparity by uh, gender as we thought we would, with non-returns fairly similar between the two. There was a slightly higher preponderance of males not to return their samples, but non-return in both males and females were were less than 10%. Really, where we see the differences and the disparities, and when we get into uh, looking at the different ethnicities of our patients and the different levels of social deprivation of our patients, When it comes to ethnicities, the white population, which represented the largest uh, ethnic group in our community, had a non-return rate of 8.8%. If we compare that to uh, patients from Asian ethnicities, the non-return rate was over 16%. In people from uh, black ethnic groups, uh, the non-return was over 13%. And in patients of mixed ethnicities, it was broadly similar, approaching 13%. So there are significant disparities in terms of likelihood to engage with fit and return samples when requested by ethnicity. And we see a similar uh, drop-off, actually a more significant drop-off when it comes to social deprivation. So patients from the least deprived uh, areas of our population uh, had a non-return rate of around 6%. Uh, And there was a stepwise drop off through the deprivation quintiles uh, with the most deprived patients having nearly 14 percent chance of of not returning their fit sample. So, you know, we do see um, quite a stark difference by ethnicity and deprivation. And even when adjusting for both of those factors in a multivariate analysis, uh, we do still see those those same patterns present. And were these findings expected? Is there other work going on to explain why there's this disparity in ethnicity and socio-demographic variables? There's a, a number of studies that have been undertaken, not specifically in uh, primary care cohorts for, for investigation of colorectal cancer. Uh, certainly in screening populations, we can see that uh, patients with more social deprivation are you know, less likely to engage with, with healthcare in general. You know, there is evidence as well to say the same with uh, patients from different ethnicities. I think unpicking the reasons for that and knowing how to implement strategies to mitigate this is is a much uh, bigger task. One thing that I wanted to touch upon was, given your findings, I wonder what you feel the take-home message here is for people working in primary care and what you think we need to be doing in our conversations with patients when we hand out a fit kit? Uh, absolutely. So I think the take-home message really is fit still represents 
by far the best risk stratifying tool for patients with symptoms uh, that we have. And broadly speaking, return and engagement with with fit is very good uh, in the population. It does appear to be an, an acceptable test, which which people are happy to engage with. I think we need to be cognizant of the fact that there are certain populations that may struggle or may not engage perfectly with fit. Uh, and so we have to think very carefully about what strategies we have in place to ensure that we're not missing diagnoses. Uh, you know, a significant focus of incorporating fit into clinical pathways has been not missing cancers in patients with false negatives. Uh, across our 40,000 uh, or so patients, the chance of uh, missing a, a cancer in a patient with a, a negative fit is between 0.1 and 0.3%. So whilst unpalatable to the individual on, at a population level, uh, the results are very reassuring, really. More so, actually, the, the patients who didn't return their fit sample, the risk of cancer in those patients is 1%, which, whilst not reaching a threshold for urgent investigation, uh, is still significant. And particularly where we've identified that there are these disparities by different sociodemographic factors, I think that as different centres and different areas implement fit at primary care level, there needs to be some safety netting ability where uh, patients can access urgent investigations, even if they are not able or not willing to engage with fit. I think the second part of your question is what we need to be doing when when sending these these fit samples out and, and requesting them. I think that's a question that's got more difficult in the past few years. Uh, if we had had this conversation in 2019, I would have been saying, you know, the key is to discuss with your patients and explain the test with them and where we have primary care administered fit samples that you know that's generally being possible and our general practitioners are able to discuss with their patients explain exactly what's involved and you know they get non-returns flagged up to them uh, and so there's a chance to re-engage with patients and, and give them another chance to to return these samples and that did happen with an awful lot of our patients it's it's clear to us that you know it's imperative that at the point of delivery of our of our fit requests, we have to make crystal clear uh, exactly what's required of the patients and try and deliver that in a, in a way that's accessible to all. So, you know, for us locally, we've got multilingual correspondence and different educational resources going out with our fit requests. Uh, we've got Braille fit requests now or Braille instructions with our requests. So patients who are partially sighted um, can, can have help with, with that. But I don't think there's a single uh, silver bullet that's going to improve our uh, engagement with these uh, with these different subsets of patients. I think it's uh, probably a, a multifaceted approach that we need to take just to, to try and maximise what engagement we, we can. Mm, I'm thinking about the FIT uh, tests that we hand out and the instructions for it are only in English. So as you say, having instructions at least even available in different languages would be really useful and having a safety net to catch patients who we've handed out a kit for but we know haven't returned a result so there's a way that we can potentially think about following those up a bit more closely the, yeah there's certainly a mechanism there for um for flagging up patients i mean the, the the trouble is you know when nottingham introduced fit the whole philosophy was to uh, decrease the number of uh, active referrals coming through and, and free up diagnostic capacity for 
you know, trying to diagnose earlier cancers on screening pathways. And uh, quite frankly, that's not happened. Um, you know, more and more uh, general practitioners are very happy with FIT. And, uh, and what we see actually is our referral numbers just increasing. And so really it hasn't freed up any diagnostic capacity. And it's, it's keeping track of the volume of patients uh, that uh, that these requests are going out to, and and that you know that presents challenges in itself. Mm, really interesting to think about how introducing something that, in some ways, some people might have thought, okay, this is quite similar to, as you say, the occult testing approach that was used in the screening, but it's such a different test with such different capabilities, and the use of it is very different as well. So I think it's important to think about different aspects of this, including the patient response as well. So that's been really helpful to to think about. Yeah, massively. It's, uh, I, I think, separating people's preconceptions about occult blood testing from their previous experiences of the, you know, fecal occult blood tests. It's probably the most important thing still at this point. Uh, and in different centres and even in within this region, just outside Nottinghamshire, there's still a great deal of scepticism as to the accuracy of fit but I think more and more as uh, different centres publish their findings and their experiences of fit it it just is uh, a significantly better way to to risk stratify patients than uh, than symptoms alone uh, and indeed than the than the NG12 criteria that existed prior to fit. Mm, really interesting area for you to be getting involved with. So yeah, we'll look forward to seeing much more in the future from from your from your group. So thank you very much. But I think that's a great place to wrap things up. And I just wanted to say thank you very much for your time here today. No, thank you. And thank you all very much for your time here and for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research article can be found on bjgp.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. If you're interested in hearing more about current research in UK primary care, please do join us at the BJGP Research Conference, which is being held on the 22nd of March 2024 in London. The conference website is bjgp.org forward slash conference, and you can register as an early bird until the 7th of December. We're looking forward to meeting some of you there and catching up during the network sessions at the event as well. Thanks again, and bye! Bye!